0: Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Variety Senior Writer Matt Donnelly, and this week we welcome Jason Richmond and Kia Kiadian, co-heads of the Media Rights Group at United Talent Agency. Jason and Kia scour the world for books, long-form journalism, podcasts, and individual life rights to find source material for new movies or your next streaming obsession. Now, books may not seem sexy, but in a world where Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine sells for nearly a billion dollars... Media rights are at the center of the old and new Hollywood deal economy. Please enjoy our discussion about the supreme power of the Suburban Book Club, how media rights kept the agencies alive during the pandemic, and the future of comics.
1: Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
2: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up.
4: I think a lot of people generally, and also I would say in Hollywood to some extent, um, don't know uh, really just how deeply effective and responsible media rights is for populating our content pipeline. Um, and also, sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, the risk of being dramatic, but um, there's a bit of sort of like kingmaker status in play here because you are among the people who decide what sort of worlds and stories are coming next. Um, and the market dictates to you, you know what those are.
5: I feel like we actually have to dictate, you know, to the market, you know what what the new trends are in a, in a way. And so, you know, it really starts. You know, media rights is a is a new term that we, you know, um, branded our group a, a few years back because you know we used to be known as the book department or book to film, and it just became limiting in terms of. Um, the forms of intellectual property that we work with. but but you know we really help guide um, the the lives of of authors and journalists and um, life story rights holders, podcasts, any form of intellectual property that we think could be exploited um, for film and television adaptation. Um, that's also growing in terms of, you know the 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 growth that we're seeing in the unscripted world across the documentary um, space in terms of us taking. You know, long-form narrative articles and turning them into podcasts, and then they turn into hit TV shows. So um, it's a it's a broader encapsulation of um, the the large amount of intellectual property that we're we're working with and consuming on a daily basis, and then finding the right home in the entertainment landscape.
4: Well said, Kia. Do you want to add anything to that?
6: No, I think that's perfectly said. I mean, I, I think you know we we have a lot of partners in our uh, work, and many of those partners are uh, New York publishing agents. Um, sometimes they're, you know, the podcasts, uh, hosts that we represent. Um, and sometimes they're the real life people whose life rights, you know, we're handling. Um, and then on the other side, you know, we have partners that are, uh, producers, filmmakers, actors, uh, writers. Did you guys even
4: begin to estimate how much of film and television people see are actually based on publishing? In terms of fiction, nonfiction. Well,
5: I I, I think it's it's it's, hard, it's harder just on publishing because I think I think I um we did some stat that like of the like, uh, twenty five top grossing movies since two thousand like twelve of them were based on underlying material, um, but you know I think it, it varies from year to year. I think also the amount that are driven by by comic book properties and you know if you look at DC and Marvel and. Um, you know, back to, you know, the fairy tale, tale world in terms of how, you know, Disney is looking to kind of, you know, anoint and control their own IP, even though some of it may not actually be controlled by them um, necessarily. I mean, I think that we we kind of view it as a kind of broader, broader landscape in terms of the intellectual property that we're working with beyond, you know, just debut novelists. We work with a number of states and publications and um, um, things of that nature. Um, But I would say, you know, just just growth wise, you know, it's it's super vibrant um, for what we do. Um, You know, I've been at the company for, I think, 11 and a half years now. And, you know, when I started, we were, you know, 99 percent in the feature film world. And, you know, the explosion in TV, you know, it it really has been, you know, not only the golden age of television, but the golden age of media rights in a lot of ways. Um, And uh, it's been it's been really exciting for us to um i think really kind of anoint who these these new voices are um you know in the entertainment landscape in the lip who are breaking out in the literary world as well um but for us you know we're reading and consuming things so so early um when their things are selling off of book proposal or early manuscript and so it's really incumbent on us much of the time to um, really, embrace and um, highlight those voices and um, uh, shepherd them into the film and television world um, anew.
4: yeah my next question is going to be how how much more explosive has this, or vibrant to use your word has this been since uh, the streamers came? In?
6: it's It's been a dramatic rise in 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 volume and in terms of the appetite that the streamers have. Um, in addition to the competitive nature of, you know, when you have a bunch of new buyers coming into the landscape, what that does to the traditional buyers and how reactive they are. So I do think that the um, the addition of all these other platforms into the Hollywood ecosystem in general has created, um, you know, more need for IP. I think you've seen Netflix acquire certain uh, comic book companies and and make deals Um we, for example, represent a, a comic book company called Boom, and, uh, you know, they have a first look TV deal at Netflix, and we recently sold um, a comic of theirs called Berserker that they co-created with Keanu Reeves in an auction to Netflix, and and pretty much every studio we took that to was, was bidding on it. So I think that it's created an appetite not only to um, buy the IP, but also to align with the people that are creating... Um, the IP, many of these companies have hired literary scouts to come in house um, and work as their literary coordinators to be able to scout material. Um, and so we've seen, you know, quite an uptick um, to that not to mention the uptick that the pandemic has caused, you know, which, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, when everything was shut down, people were uh, at home, um, reading manuscripts, listening to podcasts, voraciously consuming, you um, you know, the intellectual property because they couldn't be out in the field making things. Obviously, now people have kind of returned to production. Um, but there was quite an uptick during the beginning part of the pandemic when everybody was home isolating.
5: It was just funny because I think I think as 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 you know production shut down and people were like, you know wondering what they were going to you know how they were going to spend the rest of their their you know work days moving forward you know we were just out of our minds busier than ever um because it was almost as if people um, uh learned how to read again and just discovered books as like this you know expo- this really really wonderful new technology um but um for us you know we just embraced it and you know hit the ground running you know when we were sent sent home to you know, um, restart our, our work lives, you know, right into the pandemic. So, you know, I think we're, we were really proud of our group, but also, you know, at an agency, we became kind of the hub and kind of the busiest, um, um, vertical in, in a lot of ways.
4: And now you guys are going to sign that brother's grim account, right? (laughs) Uh must sucks that everything is that the, all those public domain titles are and exactly. what, what just came through I think Gatsby just came through public domain yeah, and now there's to, like yeah. 40 40 projects animated movies <laughs> not the, not the oh my god um, so, so to your point I, I love the idea of people rediscovering um, rediscovering the technology of books in the pandemic um, but I think uh, I, in the past I would say even six to eight months, but really in the past two years, you know, as consolidation sort of like just completely grips our entire industry, I think that that's been another sort of spotlight on, uh, puts into the spotlight on intellectual property, especially as, um, you know, investors seem to be moving away from physical assets like superhero studio, a theme park, and, and investing more in the idea of something a bit more ephemeral, like, like you're, like you're media rights savvy. I mean, I think Hello Sunshine is a sort of, um, some people a crazy example of how uh, uh, of how powerful this space can be. Um, you know, and without asking you to weigh in on the on the material of the deal, you know, some people are divided. People think that it's either, you know, $900 million book club or, or she'll be the next goop. Um, but when you see something like that come across your desk, does it not just sort of blow your mind that, that this is the power you can leverage for media rights?
6: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, to, to me, I think what that points to really is um, a return to quality. Um, I think if you look at the productions that Hello Sunshine has been associated with, and, you know, Jason, you should definitely talk about the project that you you had with them, Little Fires Everywhere, but, you know, when you think about um, what that deal signifies, to me, it's really a return to quality because the output from them has been such high-caliber productions, material... Um, you know, all of the elements, whether it's casting directors, you know, are really a plus. And I think in this world where there is so much content, like what, what helps something elevate to the top? Well, you know, I, uh, I remember when I was starting out in the industry, I was very skeptical. I thought, you know, oh, it's all about who, you know, and, and, and that's how things get made is because, you know, someone's, someone's nephew, but, you know, as, 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 as another agent once told me, the cream will rise. And so we've seen um, because of a proliferation of how much material is getting made, the best content is what people want. And if you have a company that's consistently able to identify that um, based on underlying intellectual property, um, they're gonna create value. And I think you're gonna see a lot of other companies kind of modeling themselves on that model um, and really, you know, striving to have, you know, the best taste or really to fill a specific niche and be the best in a certain niche. Um, so I think you're going to see proliferation of, of, of those kinds of, uh, of, of companies.
5: I totally agree. I mean, I, I, I also feel that, you know, in, in my and also my personal experience with them, you know, they do the work and and they have great taste great taste in books, um, you know a lot of which um, have our clients of ours as well. Um, but you know you know in my experience working with them and putting little fires everywhere together, you know, I had given a galley of the book to Lauren Neustadter um, right as she had started um, working um, as, as Reese's new film and TV head. Um, and you know she read the book over the weekend. And Monday morning, Reese had an email into Celeste's inbox. So, you know, they had, they both did, did the work there and, you know, it showed and made the decision to go with them, you know, and partnering up to um, create the wonderful adaptation that it became so much easier because they really embraced and, um, and I think understand authors in a a great way and also understand storytelling. Um, But, you know, she, she, their book club, you know, is, is on fire. If you look at the, the New York times bestseller list, it's dominated by the picks that, um, that she's made. And they are a lot, they're just really good books. Um, so, you know, I think it's great. It's been really, really wonderful to be honest for the, the book world and the fiction world in general. And for what we do, because, um, it's really highlighted and broken a lot of new voices. Um, and I think I think in terms of fiction adaptation, it's provided a lot of opportunity and runway for, um, you know, discovery of these these new voices and, you know, a lot of just really terrific adaptations across the the film and television landscape as well.
4: To your earlier point, Jason, about about some of the more corporate entities and, and, and the tech companies hiring literary scouts, that, that to me has sort of been one of the most interesting things in the past year, how. Sort of competitive they seem to be internally with each other about sort of who can land that next author i i heard a rumor that um disney worldwide publishing is launching an adult label meaning just a straight down the middle mainstream fiction label um to try to get in on some of that netflix action because you forget you know not not everything is little fire isn't virgin river based on a book series which is like their runaway summer pandemic
5: hit at netflix yeah yeah no it's um, a big, big best-selling book series um but you know i think that there there have been a lot of those that have been you know discovered i think in the film and television landscape that have been been you know giant titans um you know previously you know we've had a um uh just a total bonanza with um representing ellen Hilde- hildebrand who you know is you know, has been writing two number one New York Times bestsellers a year. And, you know, I think people have really rediscovered her um, throughout the pandemic as well. Um, her readership has just exploded. And, you know, on top of that, you know, on the film and television side, we've made countless number of deals. They've just been kind of flying off the shelf because I think it's a perfect way to escape and, you um, you know I, I think people would love to be off in Nantucket um with a drink in their hand and you know um chowing down on lobster so um and talking about love and <laughs> and relationships you know and finding love um throughout so you know I, I I think the 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 trends kind of ebb and flow um but I think it's been exciting um with the focus being on you know these authors and and their readership and how we can uh, I don't know. I, I think the streaming opportunities have provided so much more opportunity than, you know, than, you know, if they had before, I think, I think probably 10 years ago, Virgin River would have been like a two hour lifetime movie. And now you have a big, big hit series on Netflix.
0: Don't go away. We'll be right back with more from UTA's
1: Jason Richmond and Kia Kiadian.
0: We're back, discussing the booming business of Hollywood media rights with UTA agents Jason Richmond and Kia Kiadian.
4: It feels like the one, and if I'm missing any, I know you guys will tell me, it feels like the one space maybe that this kind of adaptive work has been faltering is like the, the, the big, juicy, awards-baity feature ensemble eventized, you know, theatrical release. Because I think like some of the recent tries, I know the Goldfinch didn't really work out for Warner Brothers. Um, uh, you know, I think I get that Christie's doing just fine for a couple of people, but I, I feel like it's interesting how the one space where it's probably most native to the most consumers, um, it's not really playing there right now, which is how do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs>
6: um, well, I mean, I, I think it's a matter of format because I, I do think sometimes, you know, cramming a big literary adaptation into a two hour film maybe doesn't make the most sense. Um, and I do think that, um, you know, there are times where, you know, maybe we forget that, you know, Greta Gerwig's Little Woman was, you know, based on a book as well. And, and, and they, they, they still can work. And um, certainly, um, you know, you have to kind of take a look at what um, is, you know, you look at what the, the rebirth of Stephen King and, and, and all of the, 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 you know, projects that are coming from his books. Um, I do think that, you know, it's a matter of format. And I think people have to be much more um, uh, attuned to, okay, this would actually work better as a limited series. This would work better um, as a, as a, as a, you know, ongoing series and having um, those walls break down a little bit, as Jason was talking about earlier, I think is one of the keys to um, having success with, with an adaptation.
4: Wasn't media rights a bit of a bellwether for you guys in terms of, Letting people know that the deal market wasn't dead while we were all so uncertain
5: about our futures. Absolutely. I mean, we feel like you know, it it took us probably a week to get our bearings um, uh, being at home, um, but then we kind of hit the ground running, and um, you know, it felt like it was kind of you know bidding more after bidding more. Um, so you know, we we absolutely embraced it, and and felt like it just hasn't really let up since um, in a lot of ways.
4: And generally really encouraging to see people being willing to invest so much in development, right?
5: Absolutely. I think that they were taking chances on, you know, you know, you know, wildly cherished novelists to, you know, you know, brand new voices that, uh, you know, have been having a moment. It was really fun for us, you know, someone that I've represented for, for many, many years who has finally, finally kind of broke out and had a moment this, um got another named Charles Yu, um, whose novel published, you know, it was one of my last trips actually before um, we were sent home. I was out in New York for a book launch event for Interior Chinatown, which came out at the end of January, 2020. Um, He did an event with Celeste Ng and, um, you know, the book got some really, really terrific reviews. And then, you know, we started submitting it, um, you know, right afterward. And it was just, people coming out of the woodwork for, for, you know, a, a novel that I absolutely loved, but was, you know, very inventive in its form and was partially in screenplay and, um, and prose and really just kind of played with that. Um, so, so the adaptation wasn't um, necessarily just like, it didn't jump out, out at you. Um, but he's just had such a wonderful moment. And so that's been really great to see, you um, you know the 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 entertainment entities out in the world really kind of embrace his his voice and stature, and um, we've been able to make some other you know really exciting new new deals for him. Um, you know, after on the heels of that as well.
0: Tell me a bit about
4: uh, sort of the non traditional um, areas in your department. You were mentioning um, you, you guys are increasingly getting into uh, well, obviously. Journalism, but this sort of unscripted podcasts. Can you talk a little bit about how that sort of rounds out your portfolio um, and how sort of uh is that thing that's being increasingly relied on as well for creative adapter?
6: Absolutely. Um I, I do want to touch on one thing Jason said because I do think, you know, something he mentioned in his last response about kind of um adapting something. Like I I it made me think of Nomad Land, um, which was a nonfiction book that our colleague Jasmine Lake was representing. Um, and obviously went on to great success. Um, I think people are also maybe approaching, you know, adapting literary material in a new way um, and bringing a twist to it and 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 finding a way to kind of make it fresh. And whether, you know, we look at things like Queen's Gambit or Bridgerton, I think that the, the way literary material is adapted um, is also evolving. So So, but moving, you know, forward to something like podcasting, you know, we've represented... Um this American life and Cereal, um for over fifteen years. And you know we've seen um because we were at the center of it when um, uh, you know, when that boom took off, um and with you know season one of serial or um, uh, you know, kind of the the emergence of 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 the podcast as underlying material. You know, we've been at the center of the shrink next door, for example. Um, is another podcast that are, and we have a pot dedicated podcast group as well. And a lot of the IP that we um, receive also comes from podcasts that they've gone out and and partnered with companies like Wondery on. Um, and so there's there's immense growth there. Um, and again, there's two two businesses there. One is the ancillary business of the film and television that you know comes from those podcasts, and the other is the uh, podcast business itself. Um, the same with comic book business. We talked about Boom, um, you know, Boom Comics. They they have a robust ancillary business in both film and television, but also they're the number three comic book publisher behind DC and Marvel. Um, and and you know, we're seeing all these other areas that are that are really having explosive growth, um, and they're finding ways of growing, whether it's in unscripted um, or in other categories. Um, it seems that, 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 that the boundaries that, that have existed between fiction, nonfiction, um, TV, film, all of these boundaries are, are breaking down, and, and that's certainly to um, a creator's advantage.
4: I've been really pleasantly surprised to see how uh, the consumer is engaging with scripted podcasts. I was really unsure about that one. Um, I thought it was sort of like just a flash in the pan, like, you know, talent sending it home they need a job in the pandemic. So we'll do like an old school audio series, (laughs) but they seem to be really working. Um, And I wonder sort of, do do you think that prospective buyers out there are are looking to sort of take them to the next level? Do you think that the scripted series would then lend themselves to TV and grow? And I'm just curious what you think the future of that whole space is.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think we saw it, you know, take off with Gimlet having Homecoming and, you know, you know, that, turning into you know the the successful amazon series that they had um you know we have very established authors you know we work with eric larson who you know you know storied nonfiction writer best known for devil in the white city he has a um his first foray into fiction actually that's being released next month as an audiobook um only that's a ghost story called no one goes alone that we're um out on submission on the film and television front right now, actually, um, that's creating a lot of excitement, um, and it's it's something that you know is is only going to you know live in that space um, and in the audio space, which you know I think I think is really exciting um, for you know an author that's only worked in print and only worked in print nonfiction um, for this long to be you know trying his hand at something new that's definitely shaking things up and i know publishers are definitely looking to find ways of um you know um basically bridging voices from print into audio you know i think there's been such a boom in you know in audiobook downloads as well um so there i think it's created a lot lot of new opportunity that kind of bridges the gap between you know both you know the scripted fiction podcast world and also you know uh Audible audiobook, you know, we're listening, we're reading, we're 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 reading while listening, if you will. So, absolutely.
4: Um, and you know, speaking of consolidation, I think a couple of years ago, or uh, my timing might be all messed up because of the Bermuda pandemic triangle. Um, but you know, when someone like Liz Gabler joined Sony Pictures, and I think brokered a, an exclusive publishing deal with. Simon and Schuster. I might be totally Harvard wrong. Holland. I have to re-record Harvard this. Harper Collins. Harper yes. Collins. Yes. Um, and obviously, Elizabeth Gabler has a long track record of of, of successfully adapting um, books into movies. But I wonder: Do you think the publishing houses might become an increasing target for confer acquisition, um, considering just the moment that they're having?
5: I mean, I I think you know, in speaking also from experience and dealing with. Um, Three thousand, um, which is Elizabeth Gabler's you know, outfit partner yeah. with Sony and and Harper Collins. Um, you know, we ha- we made a really great deal for um, uh, this book by Kevin Wilson called Nothing to See Here that um, we sold with Newsteader and Weber um, to Elizabeth, and the deal was really innovative because it, you know, that it happened to be an an Echo book, which was an imprint of Harper Collins, and so you know, the publisher was able to say, we will actually chip in some ad dollars um, to promoting the book. And, and so, oh, yeah. you know, I think that um, as, as part of the the film deal, I think that, you know, they're also optioning a lot of material that isn't necessarily under the HarperCollins banner, but when it works and you're able to kind of create that sort of synergy, you get the added benefit of it. And you see that with, you know, Viacom and SNS, but, you know, SNS is going away, kind of, or we'll see what we'll see what happens there with with that merger. So, um, you know, I think that we try to just take advantage of the opportunity that is also going to, you know, provide an even greater billboard for our authors um, for their their literary books as well.
6: One thing, one thing to remember is, you know, the, the, the publishing companies don't actually own the film and television rights, and so right. the publishing company becoming a target for acquisition because it's a source of content I think isn't necessarily the right um, way to look at it and I think in fact you know w- one of the things that um, has become a bit of a controversy are publishers or you know newspapers or magazines trying to lay claim to the rights that their authors have and I think you know we saw this big dust up with the New York Times and Paramount um, happen over the you um, uh, the gamestop uh story and I think we've seen you know many uh kind of uh publishers or outlets kind of trying to overreach and, and and take rights that are really created by and should remain with the authors um and so that's that's something that i think you know we we certainly are keeping an eye on and wanting to you know you know where we can protect our creators um and, and advise them as these big corporate, uh, entities try to lay claim on their ideas and their, uh, ability to, to, to find the right places to, to, to exploit the, the, the rights that they, you know, kind of inherently create when they come up with an idea or when they find a story and track down a story and work incredibly hard for years and years to, to break a story.
4: There's things you could rip from the headlines, um, almost every single week, especially the past year that, that lends itself to cinema <laughs> or some kind of adapt. Added,
5: like, but That's work. also like some of the best parts of our jobs because you never know when that story that all of a sudden is getting shared all over social media lands in your inbox for representation as well. And so right. you get become some of the most exciting parts of our job in that narrative nonfiction space as well. Um, you know, those sorts of timely stories where they involve complicated life rights holders and deals um that I think make the best sorts of um adaptations for film and television. You know, it, it becomes it becomes an exciting part of our job because, you know, a lot of people ask us, you know, how does every day look? And some of the time you you get like a special gift dropped in your inbox at 8 a.m and that changes the the entire kind of direction of your week um as well. So <laughs> We have to be kind of, we have to be nimble, um, but, you know, I uh, roll roll with those, those fun opportunities.
4: Is there one you guys are shooting on right now? Like what's your Zola right now?
5: Our Zola, we're, we're representing this really fun piece um, uh, on behalf of the Boston Globe um, about a fire festival of of, um, overnight (laughs) sleepaway camps um, about a, a, a camp in New Hampshire that was shut down after six days for basically the you know the all the campers rebelling against the staff and the staff quitting and um you know it was it's a it's a wild fun story that we feel like is a really um special kind of contemporary um film as well we're putting together
3: thanks for listening be sure to leave us a review at apple podcasts we love to hear from listeners And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business.